I want you to stand, please, with me. Today, as we pray, I want you to remain standing after we pray. So when I read the word, I would like for you to remain standing for the reading of the word as well today. For those who can, if you're not able to understand. Today, Lord, we, we again come here to honor you and to thank you. We thank you for the preparation that has taken place, the anointing that we did this morning with the oil. We thank you today for the song service, the request. And Lord, we want to honor you for your wonderful goodness. We recognize that our lives are empty without you. You did not create us to be separated from you, but you made us to remain connected. Today as we delve into the word of God, Pray that the Holy Spirit will speak to us. Pray that you will give me the words to be able to communicate to the people and that the Holy Spirit will stir the hearts. We honor you today for the wonderful privilege that we have to give glory to your name. Thank you for all that you're doing. Again, for the request, those that are not feeling well in their bodies, remember them. Pray for them in a special way. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You may remain standing. Please stay standing as you turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 43. Matthew 5, 43 through 48. I will be reading a couple of other passages as well. But for the part of Matthew, I'll have you stand. And then for the other portions, I will allow you to sit. So Matthew, chapter 5, beginning at 43. 43 through 48. It says, you have heard that it was said, and I'm reading from the NIV. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the, good, on the evil and the good. And sins reign on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You may be seated. Again, I want to thank for th those who are using your gifts in the church, in the body. There are some people that I have on covert missions. I want to thank you for your covert missions. <laughs> Working on some things that will be revealed a little bit later on. We want to thank you for that. Those who have said, I want to be used and I can do this and we honor you. For those of you have, who remember and have maybe not paid as much attention, the side of the building on this side here had for years been really beaten by the sun. And so over the course of the last month or so, the building on that side has been worked on. And have you noticed there's a new coat of paint on there? Have you noticed how different it looks? No, something not. I bet if, I, if, the, if that wall wasn't there, do y'all know that there'd be a, there's, a, there's a parking lot on that other side? 
Well, I just want you to know, we just put up the wall last week, if you didn't notice, on the inside. So that wall is right here is new. See that wall? No, I'm, I'm, messing, I'm messing with y'all. You know, it, it's <laughs> but on the other side, it really has been worked on. And so we want to thank Brother Don for the effort and the time that he's been putting into to do that and all the work. And so just, just tremendous. And the care. And so we're grateful. One of the things that I know <clears throat> that the lesson that we're going to be dealing with is the service that we give unto God. How are we to honor God? And so I'm going to give a, as I read, the, after I read the other scriptures, I'm going to give you the, uh, the title that I'm going to be using for this sermon today. But in your Bibles, I want you to turn to the, also the book of Leviticus. I want to read one verse there, chapter 19 of Leviticus, verse 18. And then I'm going to go back to Matthew. So Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Verse 18. It says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Matthew chapter 22, verses 33, excuse me, Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. Matthew 22, 37 through 40, and this is what it says. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Luke chapter 6, verses, verses 27 and 28. Luke chapter 6, verses... 27 and 28. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. We want off the hook. We want the bar to be lowered so that we can go under it easier. We don't like living up to the standard. So the title that I've given to this message is Your Standard is Too Low. Your Standard is Too Low. We want there to be exceptions to the rule for us. We don't want certain rules to apply. We don't want to strive for that which God calls us to, but we often want to settle for that which is below the minimum standard. When we consider that we have been made in the image of God, God has called us to a standard. And as we read in verse 48 of Matthew 5, God calls us to perfection. 
you're writing the points down, point number one, and there will only be one point with several things that I'll be addressing under that, and it is contrasting wrong, wrong teaching with right teaching. Contrasting wrong teaching with right teaching. If you notice that when Jesus starts his Sermon on the Mount, that he is in chapter 5, these areas beginning, I believe, at verse 21, you begin to see where Jesus says, it has been said, or you have heard. That begins a section of contrasting between verses 21 through 48. And what Jesus is doing is he is helping to clarify those things that were actually just plain wrong teaching from the Pharisees. And then there was an expounding or a further explaining what the scripture meant when it was quoted in the Old Testament. As you know, Jesus used some of the Old Testament passages and then he elaborated, elaborated on them as he is teaching on this mount. And so as we come to this last section here, before chapter 6, there is a contrasting that I see, and I've called it, contrasting wrong teaching and right teaching, even though it occurred earlier. There was no law given by God that said that one was to hate their enemy. This is what the religious leaders told the people. If, in fact, you remember in the New Testament when Peter said, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother who sins against me? And Peter says, should it be seven times? And the Lord says, no, but 70 times seven. 490 times. So I want you to make sure, Jesus says, you get your pad out and you start marking. No, that's not what he meant. But he is saying that you are to forgive them as many times as they come to you and seriously repent. See, you see, the, the, the idea and the tradition was from the Pharisees was that you could forgive a person three times. So when you think about what Peter says, he is actually being generous when he says, Lord, it's, it's seven times, is that a good number? seems to be with the number dealing with completion. And Jesus expands this whole idea and blows it out of the water and says, no, but 70 times 7. And so when we look at this matter of forgiveness, and I'll even be dealing with this afternoon, one has to consider that the Lord is very concerned about this matter because it is a problem for people to do in the church. He knew that those that he was, he was teaching, the disciples and the people that are there, they had a problem with forgiving. And so he needed to expand it because the religious leaders were telling them, it's okay to hate your enemies. Verse 43, back in a sermon, as we remember, I used the parable of the Good Samaritan dealing with, with mercy. I used that parable back in July 2015. The parable of the Good Samaritan was actually a parable, a parable dealing with the question of, so 
who is my neighbor? That parable could be used right here in the sermon today. Because the religious leaders hated people and they wanted to keep this kind of tucked away in their own cross, we would say. They wanted to hold on to it. And, and so they taught the people that you were to love your friends or your inner circle. When you think about your neighbor, they're, they're thinking about those who treat you well. Those that treat you nicely. Those that you are around, your family, your friends, you can treat them nice. But those that are your enemy, you got permission to hate them. Why was this? Because they hated people. And so they were teaching. So Jesus says, you have heard that it was said. The contrast is you've heard, but I'm telling you something now that's going to blow your mind. You are to love your enemies. Jesus does a lot of correcting in his Sermon on the Mount. As a lot of personal feelings and reflections were being taught as superseding what, what God's actual word said by the scribes and Pharisees. They were saying that our word trumps what God says. And today there are people who believe that their ideas go above and beyond what God's word says and they can do it. That's when you look at television and you get all these different points of view. People coming up with all these crazy ideas about what makes one right with God. Where the Lord... And his word is very clear around many of the things. And some passages may be hard to to understand. But there are people who distort what God says, trying to use it for their own benefit. So the people are having a major shaking up. And their theology and the low standard that had been set for them and that they were accustomed to by the scribes is being stirred. They're being moved to a different level. How can we ask a church, in and in all the time, one day in, one day out. How can we do the exact same thing without growing? How do you even challenge yourself? You see, if you're not challenging yourself, then how are you challenging your neighbor? You see, there, there has to always be this, this move forward. And when we consider what Jesus is doing upon this mount, he is taking the disciples and the people, he is taking them to levels that they have never known before. And as I was thinking about this, I thought to myself, I said, the Pharisees that that may have been on this mount, I imagined and began to think, I hadn't thought about this before, that possibly that's where they first really got angry with Jesus. Because they knew that they were the ones that he was targeting. You've heard that it was said. And he even told the people, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and scribes, you can't be saved. And I can imagine that these religious leaders, some of them are probably here listening, that some of them were seething inside because their whole message of what they were saying, those things that were not right, it was on display. So as the Pharisees told the people, love your friends but hate your enemies. You see, 
the Pharisees and the scribes and many of the Jewish people, they didn't like the Romans because they were in bondage to them. They didn't like the tax collectors. They didn't like the chief tax collectors. And they didn't like those who worked for the Roman government. They didn't like those that were outside their own race. And they gave the people permission to hate them. Anybody, so when you look at this, anybody that was a tax collector was automatically put in the category of a sinner. You know, people categorize you, whether you realize it or not. You go walk down the street with a person that the people know is a hoodlum and ain't, no, ain't doing no good. They're saying, hmm, I saw that, I saw him with that person the other day. They, and they up to no good. What is he doing? Because y'all saying that person is going to corrupt that good person. How do you know that person wasn't witnessing to him? Now, you might not be strong enough to hang out with certain people. Some of y'all, it's like some of y'all just get saved and y'all want to run back to your your own stomping ground. No, no, you you can't do that yet. Some of y'all can't do it. Y'all fall right back into the fray, right back into the party scene. I know. Jesus brings another message, a new revelation saying, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. He says in verse 44, but, now you need to stop when you see that word but, that conjunction, when you see it there, because it it, it is a point in the sentence that one is said, basically, everything that I've said up to this point here, but, This is what you really need to now pay attention to, what I'm about to say. You see that this word, but, this conjunction joins two phrases together. It joins them together. And when Jesus says, but, it is something that I want you to note. But I tell you. If you notice throughout verses 21 through 48 in chapter 5, When Jesus says, you have heard, but I, or he gives a teaching, it's interesting because he's relating what he's saying and what he is speaking. It is the word of God. Many of the things are coming from the Old Testament. And and so he is one speaking with authority. He is one that is able to give a word, and and one is saying, now how can he change the message that is in the word of God that we've been taught? Well, he's not changing, but he is. He's elevating. He's helping them to get to a place where they have a broader appreciation of what God is doing. When I look at this world that God, that God made, I've said this before, and all the new advances that people are discovering, every raw material, the raw material, it was here back in the days of Jesus. All the technology things they found out, it ain't something that they invented. They just have now found out how to put it together. Their discovery, their thing, they're still finding out about outer space. They're looking at how planets and some of are formed and how stars are made. And even in fact, let me just say this. Even though Planned Parenthood is destroying babies, do you not know some of those doctors are marveling? as they butcher some of those, che- those babies, they are marveling at the nature of how the body is made. They are marveling. 
and yet there's no appreciation for God's work. And we've got people today that say, well, I don't care. I'm, this is still what I believe. What challenges us to a higher standard? Rather than having the bar so low that you don't got to go under, you've got to kick it out the way. Jesus has called us to a higher standard. He says, but, but I tell you, it gives Jesus authority and it places the religious leader, it places them on alert that there's a person who has the ability to bring clarity to the word of God because he is the Logos. He is the word. What kind of teaching is this? Love your enemies. In order to be, in order to be sons of God, there has to be a distinction between the world and God's children. In, in order to be God's sons, which includes the females, there has to be a distinction between the world and God's people. God takes people in the world, like I said, and places them right in the church. You see, everyone starts out being in the world. You don't come here saved and sanctified and filled with the Holy Spirit, going on with the Lord, come here from your mother's room and say, oh, praise the Lord, hallelujah. As a baby, no, you come here crying, demanding your own way. Then feed me, mama. Then when you don't get your needs met, you cry some more. Feed me. I changed my diaper. I am wet. I got some other stuff on me. Get this stuff off of me. That child has a lot of says in it. Ah, ah, crying and, 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 and screaming and yelling. It says a whole lot. And parents have come to discover that that certain cry means a certain thing. Here's my hungry cry. Here's my wet cry. Here's my got some stuff on me cry. Here's a cry to where I'm not happy. Here's a cry to where I want to be picked up. Here's a cry that I want to be put down. Here's a cry that I am in pain. Parents have learned the cries of their children. 50,000 kids on the playground in York Church cry, and everybody used to stop. That's my child. This is a slight exaggeration when I said 50,000, in case you didn't get that. <laughs> Jesus brings a different perspective than re religious leaders. And he's raising the expectation of the people. He said that they had to love their enemies. Now, now, one of the things that's really interesting is that, you see, the religious leaders did not like a group called the Samaritans. Now, the Samaritans, you would have to go back to the Old Testament to see how they were formed, they were brought in when there was captivity in the land and these different groups intermingled and began to marry and have children. They were a mixed group called the Samaritans. So from the Old Testament to the New, there was this group called the Samaritan. And even when we think of when Jesus had to go through Samaria, sent his disciples on to get something to eat, he met a woman at the well. 
You see, Jesus, and let me just say this as I pass through here, he makes divine appointments. He makes divine appointments. When Jesus does things, have you ever, have you ever thought about you're just happen, you just happen to be at the right place at times, right at the right time? It just, just so happened that you were there at this time when this event took place? And some people say, oh, how lucky you were. No, no. If you're God's child, there are orchestrated events for your life. Stop saying that you were lucky. That God has blessed you. If you are in God's will, he orders your steps. But if you're not in his will, and if you're outside of his will, he can still order them, but they may not be things that you might like. So he says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So the, the religious leaders and those who hated the Samaritans said, we don't like that group and you've got permission to hate them. And in fact, we don't like them that we don't even go through the area where they are. We'd rather go all the way around to not go through that town. But Jesus needed to go through that place. Because he had an appointment with a woman that was an outcast. Do you not know that Jesus will go out of his way and he will do it at a time to when other people are not even around? Here she is trying to hide and come at noon at the heat of the day when nobody's going to be out there. And here's Jesus sitting right there on the well waiting. Disciples are not there. They've been sent away. But, but when they come back and they're surprised, what is he doing here speaking to, first of all, this woman, and then she's a Samaritan. Some people tell you, what you doing talking to that person? What you doing hanging out with that person? Don't you know that you got to hang with your own people? So when did God create a people that's not a people that, come on, help me here. When Jesus made Adam and Eve, from my understanding, he created them male and female. He made them. He made them in his image. And, and he blessed them. He gave them blood. through. He, had, he, he allowed them to have blood that courses through their body. Gave them the ability to interact. I never known Jesus to tell me to go hang out with an alien. Never had Jesus tell me to go hang out with a robot. Jesus came to seek and to save those that were lost, and that's people. Today we've got a culture and a generation that's pitting people against other people, and people are buying into it, even the church. Jesus came to save those that are lost and those that are his. Today I'm so tired of hearing Certain groups this, my rights that, this that, this that, and the other. I'm always having this happen to me. Well, if you are a child of God and you live for God, God has direction over your life. We've got to learn that we've got to learn to love people. Now, get this. You don't just love the evil people you do. I'm, I'm tired of this, this, mis, this, I should say, messed up or mixed communication where people say, well, you just got to forgive everybody for everything they do. No. 
We need to call evil for what it is. Sometimes we like to step around certain things, but the issue is that when evil is evil, it's evil. To be cutting off people's heads and killing them just because they don't bow to what you want, it's evil. To try to come up with new ways and invent new ways of doing horror, that's evil. There's a price to pay, and the church should be speaking out against such atrocities. We say, as long as it doesn't bother me, if it happens to them over there, I'm okay with it. It's not okay. And the religious leaders had the nerve to say that you've got permission to hate people. In none of Jesus' words are you given permission to hate people. You're called to hate evil. But Jesus does not allow you to hate people. And so he brings this perspective. Love your enemies. Enemies can be people that are just a different color than you. They think differently, they think differently than you. Got a different education than you. Not just like you. Don't smell like you. They could be your enemy. They work for the government. Don't like them. How are they going to be working for the traitor? Do you not know that God made this world and everything in it belongs to him? That the cattle on a thousand hills belong to God? God has the ability to take from somebody else and give it to you just because he wants to. That's what he told the Israelites going to Canaan. I'm going to take something that you didn't even work for and I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to put you in a promised land. You're going to enjoy the 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 produce of the land, and you didn't even plant it. I'm going to bless you that even the house in the rain and, and allow your crops to go. Only thing you got to go out to do and harvest it and reap and sow, sow and reap, and I'll bless you. Only thing I want from you is just want you to obey me and love me. I'll take care of the rest. That's the God that we serve. And we'll see in a moment here. What the Lord does to even for those people that don't even acknowledge him. So it says, as I go on, he says in verse 45, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Now let me go back to the part B of 44. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now that's a, that was a very tough saying because they felt they were being persecuted by the Romans. And so one of the things here that Jesus is saying to them is you've got to begin to help people that you don't even like when they're in need. People that you would avoid and go around and not even want to help. You've got a responsibility. Why? Because in order to be seen as God's child and as his son, you've got to be doing something that's so radically different than what the world does, that they'll say there's something about that person, they must belong to God. They say in verse, in verse 45, it goes on and says that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He, now look at this. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. <laughs> If you love only those in your group or those that are your friends, 
Jesus says that even sinners do that. There's nothing special about that. But what God says is this. Just like I send the sunshine and I send the rain, I send it to those who are mine and those that are not. And what is Jesus saying? That in my grace and in my mercy, in my own compassion, I give people what they don't even deserve. And when he uses this example, he is saying that's how you are to be with those who are your enemies. That you are to be a blessing to them. You are to pray for your enemies. Now, I know many of y'all cuss y'all enemies. I wish they died. Some of y'all said, I know it. I wish this would happen to them. You can't stand to see your enemy blessed. Why the Lord blessing them and not blessing me? Oh, they did this to me. Yeah, but I tell you this. Stand back and begin to say, Lord, show yourself in their life. Give me opportunity to be the person that will be different than how they even, they're treating me. Help me, Lord, to be able to reflect and show your glory that will win them for the Lord. Some of the people that's been your enemies when you were a kid became your best friend later in life. People that you are struggling with and fighting with, angry over what, became good friends later on. And some of y'all can look back and laugh about those times in the past, about what it used to be. You see, Jesus is trying to help his people that there has to be a distinction you, you, the, for you, the bar has to be raised. You can't lower the bar. The world does. They, they, they love their own people. There's nothing special about that. But love a person that's, that's mistreating you, that's doing something against you. Now, that's not easy. Because what happens? Our flesh rises up. Treat me this way. I'm going to get them. Bible says you don't have a special reward because you return a favor to a friend. There's nothing special about that. Somebody gives you something nice, does something nice for you, you do something nice for them. Somebody does something nice for you, you do something nice for them. But what is the Lord saying? Here you are driving down the street and you're enemy, your worst nightmare, the person that you just got off the phone talking about with your best friend has two flat tires and there you are driving by. I mentioned, yeah, what you're supposed to do? Pull right on over and says, can I help you? Yeah, yeah I, I, my car is flat. I also don't have any gas and I don't have any money to get it fixed. Your responsibility is not to say, man, you are in a pickle. I hope it works out for you. Bye. That ain't what you're supposed to do. What you should do is say, huh, well, I don't know how to fix a spare ass, but I tell you what, I can take you to get some gas, I have some money, 
put some gas in your car. We'll call AAA, and even though I know you don't have AAA, you can use my car. We'll have it towed and have the car fixed. And they should say, you would do that for me? And they'd probably be looking, okay, what's in the What does this mean? Okay. Uh, okay. How much is this going to really cost me? <laughs> Nothing. I tell you what, by you blessing that person, it will change that relationship forever. There's some people right now that you're thinking of that you know is an enemy. But you've got a responsibility as a Christian to try to help them if they're in need. Now, now I, I, I'm going to say this later on. I'm going to say this this afternoon to be dealing with this, but I do need to say this. All of your enemies don't want your help. It's not talking about you forcing your, you're going to take this help. No, that's not what the Bible is saying, but it is saying that you are willing to be there to help a person when there's a need. You may have just had a problem. So when the Lord said to Peter, Peter, I don't say that you are to forgive your enemy seven times, but 70 times seven. You are to do it as many times as is needed. And so for the people that's up on this mount to hear this teaching, as they're listening to this, you've got to imagine their heads are swelling. The bar has been raised so high that they're thinking, how in the world are we going to measure up? But you know what many people in the church want? They want the bar not only lowered, then they want to say, are there any other things that I can, you can give me to be able to get through this? We don't want to struggle in the church. We want everything to be made easy. But that's not what the Lord calls us to. You've got to show that there's a distinction with you as being the child of the king. The Bible says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers... What are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect there as your heavenly Father is perfect. Today you can hardly, hardly tell the difference between those claiming to be Christians and those who are not. The world shacks up and so does the church. The world cusses up a storm and so do many in the church. The world always tries to get even and so do many in the church. The world is trying to scheme and get over on many people, and so do many in the church. The world blames them for their living, and their living situation and their condition, and so do many in the church. The world says, that's just the way that I am, and so do many in the church. <laughs> What's the distinction between us and the church? We should say, I used to be that way, but I'm not that way anymore. I used to do this, but I don't do that anymore. Because God has taken me out of the world in which I was born and where I lived and where I committed my sin and he placed me in the church and now he calls me to a righteous and a holy living and the bar has been raised and I now got to measure up. Here we are in the church trying to get up and pull the bar down. So there cannot even be a distinction detected in the church because of oftentimes how people live. 
But the Lord says, be perfect. Be perfect. Be perfect. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. If we are to be like Christ, he doesn't lower the standard. He says, just like I'm perfect, be perfect. And there we go, lower the standard. Now, that doesn't really mean to be perfect. It means to try your best. It says be perfect in what? In virtue, in attitude, as you strive. It didn't mean you wouldn't make a mistake. We need to stop watering it down when it says be perfect. He says as your heavenly Father is perfect. So that people will know perfection is what God calls for. God doesn't lower the bar for you. He said, you are to measure up to where I am. His standard is holiness. And his bar set, the bar that he set is perfection. Stop trying to change the rules and start striving to measure up. I'm convinced that many people in the church have, as I said, a victim mentality rather than a victorious mentality. God has given us a victorious Life and a victorious mentality, but we play the victim. When will the church stop playing the victim and start living in victory as God has already given us? Greater is he that's within you than he that's in the world. You've got a great, the great God Almighty living in you. And here you are saying what you can't do. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We have the God of perfection calling us to his perfection. And the church cries out that the standard is too high. Yet people who have great blessings in the Lord are willing to gravel in the rocks and dirt and are satisfied that they're that, that not to raise any objections to the fact that they are down on the ground. Here's something that's interesting. Do you not know that people complain about the standard when it's high, but when they're crawling on the ground, they're not complaining about the standard being too low. They're saying, oh, I just so down. Oh, poor me. Look how I'm just barely making it. I'm not talking about your physical condition. I'm talking about your spiritual condition. When the Lord sets the standard, we complain, but when we're down here, we're still looking for sympathy. Do we know who we serve? Do you know that God has given you victory, not over, over sin, and he said that you can do this, you can, you can love your enemies. And so the standard for what God expects is here. This is what he's telling the people. You've been living below your standard, and in fact, you have even been lied to by the religious leaders. They've been telling you this, but I tell you, this is what you need to do. Huh. We ought to be shouting for joy that God is calling us to perfection. You've got everything to strive for, so stop living beneath the standard. That God has called you to and to and began to live the perfect life because he is perfect. You left the ranks of living in the dirt when you came to Christ. 
The standard has been raised immeasurably because of who is now in you and who you are in. Show the world that you are different because you have a different master. Didn't you, don't you know you change sides? You don't, you don't live for Satan no more. You left him. So what he keeps following you and saying, hey, 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 tapping you on the back. Hey, 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 I'm, hey, hey. Hey, man, I broke up with you. <laughs> it's been ten years. The answer is no. How persistent he is. You left him. And here you are. Taking his call. Yeah, okay, wait a minute. Yes, what do you want now? I told you no. When? <laughs> this is the last time. I'll be there in an hour. <laughs> uh-uh. Uh-uh. Y'all got call waiting. Look and see who's calling. Six six six. No. I didn't know who it is. I know y'all do. Y'all be looking at y'all phones and who called? Voicemail. Click. Y'all see how y'all need to treat Satan. Don't answer his call. Don't answer his call. The Lord says, "Live for perfection." You can be perfect. Stop living below the standard. Now let me say this as I close. To live in perfection means that you're going to do everything that God has called you to do. It doesn't make a difference if you're going to be tested. You're going to be tested. Thank God that you can be tested. Don't live below the standard. Now, now let me say this, as, we, as I said, we, as we go. And that is this. If you're going to live for God and raise the standard and live according to the standard that he's calling and giving you, you're going to have to fight for it. Living for God and living according to the standard is a high standard. But the way that the world knows you're different is because of what you do. The way that the world knows that you are in him because of what you do. Who you are, but what you do. You do things differently than how the world does it. They might be expecting you to do one thing, but you say no. I don't do this. I serve God. So this is what I do for my fellow man. I'm going to do everything I can to support the work that God is doing. You see, our task is to allow the word of God to be seen not only in our lives, but to be seen in such a way that God will get the glory. 
Your goal is to help your enemy get saved if that enemy is not saved. Your goal is not to be in the way. Your purpose is not to be in the way, but is to live according to the standard that God set. Be perfect like your Father in heaven is perfect. Here's the standard, not here. The Lord always calls you up, even when it at times looks like you're going down. He calls you up because down sometimes leads to up, but he's taking you through. Bow your heads. Bow your heads, please. As we conclude today, Lord, it is our prayer that we won't try to lower the standard, but that we will come up to the standard that you said, that which is perfection, that our attitudes, that we'll live a life of virtue, that we will do the things that shows the world that we do things so differently because we are in Christ, no matter what they may say. And that, Lord, just as you called and changed <laughs> the mindset of the people that it was okay to love, to hate their enemy, we pray today that we will learn to give the help where it's needed. And even people right now that we are holding, help us to even go to them and say, you know I've been holding you. I need to release you. I need to let this go. No matter what you do, it doesn't make any difference. But I'm telling you, this is what I need to do. So today, Lord, we are praying in this place that the mindset will be so radically different. That our understanding and our hearts will be open to everything that you are saying and doing. We love you and give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. May the Lord bless you.